Today we continue our series on conversations with the prophets, looking in particular at the prophets Elijah and Moses. Today we have another story from the, uh, the story of Elijah, and uh, it's fitting that as we hit the third Sunday of Lent, the end of this week will be halfway through the season of Lent, and uh, this time of, of, of the season, some of you may be becoming a little bit weary and tired. You know, maybe you decided to try the Daniel fast, and it's just like, I can't see another whole grain, um, or I, <laughs> I'm so tired of fruits and vegetables and lettuce, and can I have some meat, please, God? Um, or maybe you've given up chocolate, and you're trying to uh, handle that um, craving that still comes. Or maybe you gave up coffee. Perhaps some of you have added something to your list. Maybe you're writing a letter every day to, to someone, and uh, you're getting tired of doing that. But no matter what, halfway through, we always kind of get that period of, oh, this is getting long. So in that context today, we need this word, I think, to reinvigorate our spiritual lives. If you're wearing from down from life as we know it today, Elijah has a word for you. Actually, God has a word for you, but it comes through Elijah. Elijah had been very discouraged. He was despondent. I mean, he had just experienced the biggest triumph of his prophetic career. Uh, he had defeated the, the god Baal up on Mount Carmel. And so the Lord God had shown Elijah and the people of Israel how great and powerful he was. In the meantime, you remember, if you remember this story uh, from previous weeks, uh, when, when Elijah was up on the mountain and Baal was called upon by the worshipers of Baal from Israel, the people of Israel, and all the prophets of Baal, when, when they called upon Baal, do you remember there was no response? They didn't hear anything. And so Elijah, in good jesting form, starts to ask the worshipers of Baal, well, what's the matter with your God? Is he taking a nap? Maybe he had to go to the restroom. And, and so he's, he's uh, leading them on a little bit. But the God of Baal never shows up. And then it's the God of Israel's turn. And the God of Israel shows up with a bang, big flash of lightning that comes and consumes the whole offering and the altar, even the stones. And so in this contest, Baal was shown for what he was, a false god, a god that really didn't care about people. Baal didn't answer any of the people's cries. But the Lord God of Israel did care, and he showed his mercy, and he showed his care for his people because he responded, not a little bit, but he responded with power and might. In the meantime, Elijah had received a death threat from Jezebel because the prophets of Baal and the worship of Baal had come from her background. And she was angry with Elijah. And so she said, before the next day, before the sun sets, 
if I haven't killed you, if my, my people haven't killed you by then, may I die. That's how intense she was on the death of Elijah. Elijah had received this death threat, and so he flees for his life. In verse 3 of our reading, you heard Michelle read this. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Elijah was afraid. Not uncommon for us to encounter fear in our lives. He was afraid. He was afraid for his life. He was afraid for the people of Israel. He was afraid for his future. But even though he is depressed and discouraged, it's interesting. He knows to head to a place of hope. Isn't that powerful? I think it is. That in the midst of his despondency, he knew to head to a place of hope. Where's he going? It tells us he's going to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was a place of hope for the people of Israel, and especially for the prophets of Israel. That is where the mighty Moses had his encounter with God, was upon Mount Sinai, where he received from God the Ten Commandments. And so Elijah knew that if God was going to encounter him, the best place for him to go would be to go to Mount Sinai. But he is so tired, he is so worn out, he is filled with despair, and he can't even go there. And so he collapses under a broom tree, and he lies there, and he just prays to God, do something, take my life, put me out of this misery. So why was Elijah so despondent? Why was he lamenting to God, crying out to God? Well, I've got a few answers here from our scriptures. The first is that he had been unsuccessful, not in allowing God's power and might to be shown, but he had been unsuccessful, he felt, in turning the people of Israel away from their apostasy. Their apostasy was their, their ignorance of God, their avoidance of God and turning to other gods instead. And so upon Mount Sinai, he thought maybe there God could straighten things out for him, but he didn't even have the power to get there. He was looking at himself, and he was thinking, what a failure I am. God is so powerful and so mighty, and I couldn't even speak the words for the people to hear that would turn them away from the gods of Baal and Asherah. Even after the Lord God's triumph, the people had soon abandoned the God of Israel. They abandoned their gratitude towards God. I mean, at the moment, they all kneeled down and worshiped God, but it wasn't long after that that they kind of gave that up and went back to their old ways. They had returned to honoring the gods that didn't care about them, not one bit. The second thing we learn is that Elijah was so despondent because he despaired of his vocation 
his calling. I mean, it's a tough call. I mean, you think being a preacher might be a tough call. Um, try being a prophet. <laughs> I mean, I just jotted down a few things that prophets are told to do by God. Thankfully, I've never been told this. But prophets have to deal with this kind of stuff. Earlier, Elijah was hungry, and so God fed him. But he fed him by some, some ravens, some birds. So he had to eat his food from the birds. And then we have the story of Elisha, his successor, who is told to make an axe head float on top of the water. Then we have the story of Jeremiah, who was told to go out and buy some new underwear, go ahead and wear that new underwear, and then go bury it in the rocks and dirt along the river. And then after several days, dig it back up. When it's all decayed, then I want you to bring it home and use it in a sermon illustration. I mean, crazy. Daniel, Daniel was told to give up this, this phenomenal fatty, feasty food, I mean, the king's food of all things, and he had to give that up and go on to a plant-based diet. Meanwhile, everybody else is feasting on this rich, beautiful food. I mean, how do you go from Capitol Grill to Mad Greens? I mean, it's a little crazy, but that's what he did. And then you got Hosea, who named his first two children not loved, that was the first one. How would you like that for a name if you're a child? You're not loved. Come here, not loved. Or the second name, not my kid, <laughs> not my people. I mean, those were the names that Hosea was told by God to, to name his children. Kind of crazy. That's the role of prophets, listening to God and responding to God's call. Elijah had been doing this. He had been doing this stuff. And he was tired. And I think he was probably tired of it. He had challenged the prophets of Baal. He had done everything God had told him to do. And nothing seemed to be working. The people abandoned God as quickly as they turned back to God. And the threat of his death and the despair of his call finally overcame him. And he wanted to give up. And so now he says, God, please take my life before Jezebel does. He's asking God to take his life so that Jezebel doesn't have a chance to do it. However, this would mean the end of Elijah's mission. An abrupt end to what God had been doing. Like I said earlier, I think it's a good thing that Elijah had looked for hope going to Mount Sinai, even though he is ready to give up. He had that inner hope yet in the midst of the despair that he wanted to hang on to. And God calls us to hang on to that hope. You might say that Elijah had been looking at things from his perspective, from a human perspective. But sometimes God has a different perspective, one that we can't see. Or even if we can see it, we may not understand it. Sometimes God has 
a different plan than our plan. Have you ever found yourself in that kind of place? Feeling let down, frustrated, ready to give up on all that God has given you? Jesus has an outrageous teaching about this, and it's taken from our gospel reading for this Sunday, this third Sunday in Lent. It's in Mark 8, verses 33 to 35. Let me share this little reading here with you. Then he said, you are seeing things from merely a human point of view and not from God's. He's speaking to his disciples. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said to them, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. That is an outrageous teaching, I think. Instead of holding on to your life, hanging on to your life, give it away. Instead of serving yourself, serve your neighbor. This is a radical perspective. Jesus says, take up your cross. Don't take up Jesus' cross. He's already taken that one up for you. You don't need to carry that one. But take up your cross, he says. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. So the question that he seems to be leaving us with here in this teaching is are you living your life or are you living a life of following Jesus? Jesus isn't saying, how much can I get for myself? What can I hold on to? What can I accumulate? That's not what Jesus is saying. An amazing God is a God of provision. And I think that's what our story about Elijah tells us today. That God provides. He provided for Elijah. He refuses to accept Elijah's decision to resign. He won't accept his resignation. He won't accept his willingness to quit. And so God sends an angel with bread and water to eat. In verses 4 in five of our reading today, um, we are reminded of that. Take my life, for I have no better than my ancestors who've already died, he says. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Again, God sends an angel in the middle of the night with more bread and more water to give him this physical sustenance. Like the woman of Zarephath, who provided bread and water for Elijah earlier in chapter 17, just like that, he sends an angel now. Earlier, it was a Gentile woman. Now, it's an angel that is sent. 
to provide for Elijah, that he might be strengthened physically, that he might be renewed physically. God does this twice so that Elijah will be nourished because it'll be a journey to Mount Sinai. The scriptures tell us it will take him 40 days and 40 nights. Hmm, the same amount of time for our season of Lent. So as he continues, God sends his word to Elijah. So he's now not only sent him food and water, that physical support, but now he sends spiritual support. He sends his word to Elijah. Twice he asks Elijah, what are you doing in this place? What are you doing here? The inference is that Elijah should be somewhere else, some other place, preparing to do something else. Elijah responds that he's been following God's call and mission, and it has resulted in a catastrophe. In verse 10, we hear that for the first time, the first feeding. Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And he says it again in verse 14. Have you given up on your mission lately? Have you given up on your calling? The call that God has placed on your heart? Maybe you're wrestling with that call. God has brought Elijah to Mount Sinai. He has fed him. He has spiritually fed him. And now he is at Mount Sinai to recommission him. To send him back home to where he belongs. To continue on the mission that God had given him originally. God does not remove the threat of death from Elijah. But God realigns Elijah back to God's original plan and purpose and mission. God will continue to rid Israel of apostasy. And that's good news for someone like Elijah, and maybe it's good news for someone like you. You're not responsible to make people believe, to trust. You're just responsible to fulfill your call and your mission. So God is realigning Elijah back to that original call and mission. And God will do the work of ridding Israel of its unbelief. Elijah is to return and to continue to declare God's word to God's people. That's his mission. He is the messenger of God. He is the one that God has sent to give these messages to Ahab, to Jezebel, to all of the people of Israel. And so that was what he will continue to do. Elijah is to return and to anoint the king of Aram. Why is this important? Because it will reduce Israel's territory, physical territory. And so this is a natural consequence from God for their unbelief. And then he is to anoint Yehu as the king of Israel, which also tells us something else. It tells us that 
Ahab's days are numbered. We saw that with David and Saul. God anoints kings when he wants a replacement. And so God tells Elijah one other thing. He said, go anoint the king of Aram, go anoint the new king of Israel, and the third thing is to anoint Elijah. I want Elisha, not, this is not the same as Elijah, Elijah's with a J, Elisha's with an S, I want Elisha to support you, and eventually, over time, Elisha will be your successor. When Elijah anoints Elisha, he doesn't do a literal anointing. Instead, he throws his mantle. A mantle is a cloth, um, kind of a, a garment to keep you warm. Um, it's a heavier cloth. And he is to throw that, that mantle upon Elisha's shoulders, which tells Elisha that he now is to come and to learn from Elijah. Come and follow me. And I'm going to begin to teach you what it means to be a prophet of God. Brings up the question for me, who are we teaching about faith in God? Who are we inviting to apprentice with us, to learn from us? The stories that we know about Jesus and even more importantly, maybe, your personal story about Jesus. Who are you sharing that with? Who are you inviting to come along with you? Is it a child, maybe a grandchild, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker? That is our mission, is to speak these words about God to those whom we love. We should always be training someone to learn from us, and to work alongside. That is what it means to follow God. In our gospel reading for this third Sunday in Lent, Jesus begins to tell the disciples and the crowd that has gathered to hear him what to expect. And it is a bit unnerving and frightening and unusual. Jesus tells them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law, that he would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. That is the message that Jesus had to share about his death and about his resurrection. And the amazing thing about that message is that that message is the message that brings life for you and for me. Just like Elijah received life by receiving bread and water from an angel, God sent his son to provide us with life through his body and blood, through the bread and wine. When you are feeling despondent, or despairing. Remember that God is providing for you right now. So don't give up. Don't stop believing. Don't stop following. The threats in your life may not go away. 
But more importantly, God will never abandon you. God will never leave you. God demonstrated his love for us by having Jesus go to the cross for you and for me. So come to the table today and be revived as Elijah was revived physically and spiritually. Come to the table. Come and eat for God is here with you. Amen.